Well, hello, and uh, welcome to episode 303 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. My name's Neville Bounds. It's just gone seven o'clock on Friday, the 31st of January here in the UK, and hope everybody is well. And uh, also in the, uh, the PTUK studio is young Matt. Oh, that's a long time since I've been called that. Thanks for that. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I was called Nev. Hello, Nev. How are you? Not bad, thank you. Not too bad. Uh, we've got, um, we don't need the two of us tonight, although we've got our man Armando sort of virtually, who's going to yes. make an appearance yes. later on. Carlos is doing one of his gigs, apparently. He is, um, yes. So He's busy DJing. DJing, absolutely. Yeah, so it's just, it's just you and me tonight, Nev. Yeah. That's good. Nice, it's been a, been an interesting uh, week or so. I've been at our company HQ in Portland, Ooh. Oregon, on the West Coast, which was uh, really good, really interesting. So come on then. Uh, how, how long did it take you to get there? Well, it's it's a good nine and a quarter hours to Seattle, uh, oh. and then about another 55 minutes on a uh, turboprop, what was it, the Q400-8, or the Crash 8, as we call it. <laughs> Um, right, okay. <laughs> and uh, well, it, well, frankly, coming back on that was pretty ropey. I've got to say that was oh, really? uh, much turbulence uh, coming back uh, to Seattle on that. But um, that was good. Um, yeah, but it's you know it's still a long way. But of course, <laughs> it hasn't got any shorter. <laughs> no, and there was you know seat shaming and etiquette going on as well so i'm i'm sat down in my seat it's all going terribly well and this gentleman sits down next to me so that's okay so i'm just on the right hand side of the aircraft there's there's two seats there and uh he says oh would you mind if uh, moving to somewhere else because my wife wants to sit next to me i said well where is where is she she sitting then expecting her to be on a nice window seat or no she's right in the middle of a four you know, in the, in the middle of the aircraft. Right. I said, I'm, ter- I'm terribly sorry. No, I'm not going to move because no. that looks like a nightmare to me. <laughs> and then somebody else gets on the aircraft. Uh, well, no, if he moves over here because she wants to sit next to him and then he just goes on and on and on. Oh, and this is going on for 20 minutes as we're trying to push off the gate, coming back to Heathrow. Yeah. Uh, from um, eventually, the cabin services director intervenes and says, ladies and gentlemen, we are ready to go. Would you please sit yeah. down? Stop mucking about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Goodness. But uh, these things happen, don't they? But is it, why is it always me? Perhaps I've just got that. Uh, well, know, I, that I think I think the, the first problem here, Nev, is, is the fact that you, 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 on first glance, you seem like a relatively pleasant and approachable gentleman. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's where you're going error. wrong. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Of course, soon they learn the error of their ways. Uh, <laughs> but uh, on initial inspection, <laughs> all is well. But, you know, it was all, all right. That was all, all all fine so well that was good and how was uh, how was your week matt yeah no very quiet actually uh we, we, it's not, not a lot on this time of year obviously because it's cold and wet outside frankly so uh not a lot yeah. of people bother going anywhere um so yeah just sort of swimming contracts and things it's uh yeah it had a bit of fun today mother successfully managed to lock the uh keys in her car um Ooh. which i, I, I not even i don't even know to begin to know where to uh, to deal with that one so <laughs> I don't you know. see in in the old days you'd just get a coat hanger wouldn't yeah. you and, yeah, uh, and, 
uh, un- uh, bend it out and uh, feed it through the door and then up up with the lock. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's no, all changed now, hasn't it? No, absolutely, yes. It's not that I've ever broken into. No, a of car. course not. <laughs> You're not speaking Obviously. from experience. Uh, more the, more's the pity, to be honest with you, Nev, because I could be very. I, I'm in a weird situation where I'd be really quite keen to have some kind of criminal uh, visit me uh, in order to sort of gain access to the uh, yes. to the car. I am giving serious consideration to maybe breaking one of the windows. I don't really know what. To, yes. What. Yeah. What what is the best thing to do really? I don't know whether it's going to be easy to get a window and and change that, or whether it's uh, you know it's like uh, I've had two quotes so far. One which was 170 quid for a locksmith to come out and solve it. So uh, uh, if you are listening to this and have any bright ideas, do please feel free to uh, chime in uh, with some ideas. Well, maybe uh, you could get that your address live on the air. <laughs> yeah, why then, not? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Come <laughs> help yourself. Yeah, please do. I mean, it's got Mum's handbag in the car and everything at the moment. It's literally got everything. Also on the plus side, it's got a. It's got a trolley full of very tasty pies that were supposed to be going to market. Uh, so, yes, I, I, I'm more worried about those. I want those to be retrieved, uh, which is, is the way forward. But do feel free to get in touch with the show while we're live. Uh, so the WhatsApp number is plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six. That is plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six. Email is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And obviously search for social media by using the tag plaintalkinguk. And while we're live, you can get in touch uh, as I say and if you've got any advice about how to uh, get into my mum's car I'd be eternally grateful <laughs> uh, several people in the chat room I'm pleased to say now we've got Richard Adams Owen Shimizu James Russell and the main man Marker he's just arrived uh, a little while ago there was Stephen Ivy as well uh, quite a chat room today I think everybody's busy I think today isn't it it's because it's you know what it is it's because January's now come to an end and everybody's been paid I think that's what mm. it is. <laughs> it's a going great out. relief as well. It's, doesn't it? Isn't January or doesn't January feel a terribly long month? It does. It feels like uh, it's gone on for about nine weeks. I've got yes. to be honest. <laughs> it's, 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 oh my goodness! But uh, never mind. Anyway, enough of this shenanigans. Shall we get on and do some aviation news? Shall we? Let's do that. Yes. Here we go. Now, the one thing I forgot to ask uh, to, 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 is um, who's going to go first? I, I think we've we got uh, an introduction from Armando, I think, haven't we? Yes, well, so, why don't we play that first of all, then? Yes, okay. Apologize <laughs> for not being on the show this week. Originally, I was supposed to be able to, but I got put on a trip at the last minute. So I am actually flying at the exact same time that this show is recording. But we had a lot of news this week, so I still wanted to get some stories in. And this first one is from the Dallas Morning News. Uh, hundreds of American Airlines pilots have rallied at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport on Wednesday uh, in their first public demonstration against the carrier after a year of negotiations that has failed to yield a new contract. Many of their signs read, are you frustrated with American Airlines? So are we. And pilots and passengers are in it together. Uh, Leaders of the Allied Pilots Association, which represents about 14,000 pilots at the Fort Worth-based airline, say that company negotiators have moved too slowly, even though both sides had a soft deadline to reach a deal by the beginning of 2020, when the old contract was amendable. So the line of pilots dressed in full uniform stretched the entire sidewalk in front of Terminal D. They were joined by representatives for Americans, flight attendants, and maintenance workers 
as well as pilots from United Airlines and Delta Airlines. Pilot union members have been wearing lanyards with the phrase, it's time. Uh, they've also posted videos to YouTube highlighting what they say is unfair scheduling and poor operational performance at American Airlines that they say puts unfair pressure on pilots and other employees. Uh, one pilot with American for that's been there six years said that pilots want to send a message to the American CEO, Doug Parker, and other leaders that uh, a lack of a contract and poor operating performance is starting to wear on the pilots. Uh, she said they want reliability. Uh, a lot of our goals are the same as the company. In their first contract negotiation in five years, Pilots are using Americans' high delay and cancellation rate from 2019 to put public pressure on the airline, along with financial results and profit-sharing programs that generally lag competitors at Atlanta-based Delta Airlines and Dallas-based Southwest Airlines. Uh, our proposals address our pilots' needs and also take into account the needs of American Airlines, its passengers, and its investors. investors said APA President Captain Eric Ferguson. Uh, quote, simply put, we propose, what we propose is exactly what American Airlines needs. We stand a, at a unique fork in the road during these negotiations that presents management with a rare opportunity to transform this airline for the better or not, end quote. American Airlines leaders have uh, said that they are optimistic about getting a new deal soon, they said that they look forward to continuing to negotiate with the APA and will return to the negotiating table early in February. They remain com committed to delivering improvements in compensation and quality of life for American Airlines pilots. Pilots, on the other hand, are saying that American Airlines is running an inefficient operation that leaves too many crew members on standby. Pilots are paid higher rates when they are flying than when they are on reserve. They say that delays and cancellations result not only in lower pay, but longer hours. So despite negotiating for a year, the pilots union said that American Airlines spent much of 2019 requesting information instead of making any proposals. The company and the pilots didn't have a hard deadline to come to a new agreement because airline contracts don't expire on, under uh, federal law. So those same federal laws also pro prohibit airline workers from striking unless they receive approval from a federal board. So in the past, that's led some unions to take extraordinary measures to show displeasure. American Airlines pilots engaged in a coordinated sick out in 1999 that landed the union in legal trouble. American Airlines and Southwest Airlines also sued their respective mechanics, uh, mechanics unions last year over alleged work slowdowns in the middle of contract negotiations. Southwest came to a deal with its mechanics in March, while American Airlines got a court order prohibiting any slowdowns, even though it had yet to reach a contract with its 30,000 mechanics and fleet maintenance workers. So American Airlines is also in negotiations with its flight attendants, who started talking about a year ago for a new deal also. Uh, Lori Bassani, the president of the Association of Professional Flight Attendants, which represents approximately 25,000 flight attendants at American, said the union 
is discussing holding its own rally uh, rallies um, as negotiations continues. So, hmm. I mean, I must admit, I had no idea that uh, uh, this sort of story seems to have slipped, uh, sort of passed me by. To be honest with you, but I had no idea people, so many people were were un, uh, unhappy. Although, to be fair, Dave Abbey in the chat room has just said it's not necessarily uh, that everyone's unhappy; it's just the loud ones, uh, which is a, probably a that good is point. true, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, As I say, I, I genuinely had uh, no idea. I mean, mm. uh, what are your thoughts, Nev? It's sort of news that we don't hear about so much in Europe, isn't it? No. With, with that sort of thing, especially if there's, uh, you know, major American airlines going going through things. But uh, mm. yes, I think. Um, well, that that story has been brewing for a while. I think right. as well. Okay. I mean, the only time we seem to hear the word strikes usually involves the French air traffic controllers, but... Uh, that's yes! <laughs> something, uh, what is it, someone said to me the other day, the, the things that you, there are certainties in life is paying taxes, death, and French ATCs. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> quite right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, difficult to disagree. Uh, the first story Armando has done for us, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll crack on with that. So by the time this show airs, everyone will have most likely heard of the helicopter crash in California uh, that killed basketball star Kobe Bryant. Um, there is a lot of speculation out there in, in the internet. There's a lot of finger pointing already. Um, I'll caveat this one by saying that it, it is incredibly important to let the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, do their thing, do what they do, uh, come up with a preliminary uh, report as well as a, a full report that uh, usually takes between 12 and 18 months, as, as they said in their press conference. But uh, this article from ABC News talks about a chilling home security video that has surfaced that captured the sound of the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant and his daughter, as well as seven others, en route to a basketball game. So the footage was taken by a Google Nest camera on a home near the crash site in Calabasas, California, and it actually contains the audio of the Sikorsky S-76 aircraft as it made a rapid descent and crashed into a mountainside in dense fog last Sunday. Audio, which was obtained by ABC News, includes what is believed to be the aircraft hitting the mountain, which is then followed by uh, eerie silence. So the, the video came from the home of uh, Miss Ronna Levitt, who told ABC that the camera was near her front door. Uh, Levitt said that she turned the video over to the National Transportation Safety Board investigators who are analyzing the footage as part of their investigation to determine what caused the crash. Uh, Levitt said that the helicopter, owned by Island Express and leased by Bryant, passed over her house uh, in L.A. County and appeared to make a U-turn before it crashed at a high speed into the mountainside. Uh, Bryant and his daughter uh, were headed to a youth basketball game at his Mamba Sports Academy in Thousand Oaks, as well as others connected to the basketball program. On Thursday, the L.A. County uh, medical examiner said the cause of death was uh, consistent with that, which is found um, in an accident like this one. So in addition to Bryant and his daughter, the coroner's office also confirmed the identities of the seven other individuals on board uh, basketball coach, or sorry, baseball coach John Altabelli and his wife Carrie, their daughter Alyssa, uh, girls basketball coach Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, and her daughter uh, Peyton Chester, as well as the pilot uh, Ara Zobayan. 
All of the passengers are believed to have uh, died instantly when the helicopter crashed um, northwest of L.A. So the, the lead NTSB investigator said the helicopter, which was not equipped with terrain avoidance warning system or TAWS, uh, which could have alerted the pilot that he was flying too close to the mountains. Um, she said that a 2004 crash of a Sikorsky S-76 in Texas uh, prompted the NTSB to recommend to the FAA that all existing and new U.S. registered turbine power rotorcraft certified for six or more passengers be equipped with a TAWS uh, system. However, she said they did not implement that recommendation. Um, certainly, TAWS could have helped to provide information to the pilot on what terrain he was flying in. But she did add that it remains uncertain whether a warning system would have prevented the crash. So current FAA regulations mandate TAWS installations only in helicopters that conduct air ambulance operations. Uh, the helicopter containing the Bryant's took off from John Wayne Airport near their home in Orange County before heading towards Thousand Oaks. During the flight, the pilot radioed the air traffic control tower at uh, Burbank Airport to request permission to fly under uh, special visual flight rules or special VFR. Now, the helicopter circled over Glendale for several minutes, waiting for instructions for Burbank um, before it was allowed to fly visually through their airspace. Now, the NTSB said this is very common. It's not out of the ordinary. And I did listen to the uh, recording, the ATC recording, and, and the only reason they held there was because there was IFR uh, departures and arrivals coming into Burbank. So uh, they had to hold, which is an entirely normal. Um, in the last moments of this flight, the, the helicopter climbed to 2,300 feet in an attempt to fly out of a cloud layer and then suddenly made a rapid descent, said the NTSB. The descent rate for the helicopter was over 2,000 feet per minute, so they know that it was a high-energy Im high impact crash, as they said, and the helicopter was in a descending left bank. Um, there was no evidence that the helicopter broke apart before hitting the mountainside. Uh, the NTSB said that the, all the significant components of the aircraft were located at that crash site. Um, so there was, uh, like I said, a lot of speculation and, and a lot of uh, armchair quarterbacking about this mishap. Now, I did find one other article from Plane and Pilot magazine that kind of came up with three theories, um, with the first theory being a loss of situational awareness, uh, where the pilot flew into the, into the clouds, he lost his way, and crashed while trying to avoid terrain, uh, figure things out. So this is um, a common, unfortunately, uh, type of mishap if, if this was the cause. Uh, the helicopter was certified for instrument flight. The pilot was also certified for instrument flight. However, I read somewhere else that the company uh, prohibits um, pilots and aircraft from filing instrument flight plans and flying under those rules. Um, so the second theory is a loss of control where the pilot lost spatial awareness and then lost control of the helicopter. Um, this is, I mean, probably going to be a true, uh, fa a true fact, uh, or at least a contributing factor probably related to the first theory. 
Um, and then the third theory being a stall, that the pilot stalled the helicopter, realizing he was too low. He could have attempted to climb uh, too fast, too soon. Um, he could have gone into what's called a rotor stall, in which the rotor RPM gets too low to support the weight of the helicopter, which then falls to the earth. Um, in helicopters, an RPM or rotor stall is uh, difficult, if not impossible, to recover from. So for this one, we'll just have to, again, let the NTSB do what it is that they do, and we'll continue to update everybody on the story. It's an awful story, isn't it? It's it's so so sad, isn't it? There's obviously, I mean, it's, there's one famous person who was on it and his daughter, and of course there were, um, you know, seven other people also uh, on that uh, craft yeah. at the time. Um, as you say, I guess it's one of those we need to wait for the NTSB to do their job, and uh, as, as Armando says, there um, and uh, sort of, I suppose, getting that done. Uh, terrible, absolutely terrible, and uh, I think that the. Um <clears throat> these situations where um you know you're flying in very high terrain you, you've just got to be absolutely you need to know where you are absolutely yeah point, really. um but until the ntsc uh, ntsb make their report um yeah. there's not much more we it's, can say it's but, just speculation isn't it at the end of the day until until we know more i i, I will just mention i hope Jonathan doesn't mind me saying in here but obviously me many of the people who listen to the show will remember that there was an awful accident on the m25 i think it was new year's eve wasn't it um, and uh, as I say, Jonathan Warner's actually just said, I attended my wife's cousin's funeral yesterday. He was 23, one of the three BA crew who died in the car accident on New Year's Eve. Um, and uh, as I say, lots lots of love uh, for, for the family there in the uh, in the chat room. Um, but uh, yeah, he was saying uh, whilst it was very sad, it was also... Um, it was also a beautiful event. Around about 300 people attended, and around 80 were BA crew in uniform, which I think is is lovely, isn't it? To sort of mm. show show proper respect. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, actually right next. It was on the A4, I think. Oh, was it? Is, My apologies. Yeah, the um, uh, the perimeter road yeah. around uh, Heathrow, but okay. uh, yeah, nonetheless, I think the crew had just come off their shift, from what I yeah. read. Um, so, uh, and they were going to a party or going home. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's never a good time uh, for something like yeah. that to happen, is there? But yeah. um, you know, especially sort of post Christmas and New Year, it's uh, yeah. it's uh, it suddenly becomes a bit of an unwanted marker, doesn't it? Really, for for something like Absolutely. that. Anyway, we'll move on to the next story. This is uh, another website that I've not seen before. It's ttgmedia.com. Carlos, Ooh. where do you find these sites? Anyway, it's Travel Industry News, which is uh, interesting. Uh, story number two is Ryanair, as always, and they warn of further job cuts and base closes due to the uh, 737 MAX delay. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> Ryanair has warned... It may have to make further job cuts and close more bases due to the ongoing grounding of Boeing 737 MAX aircraft. So the Irish budget carrier has 135 MAXs on order but was forced last year to reduce planned capacity growth by 4% due to the MAX grounding. Boeing has since said that the MAX may not return to service now until mid-2020. In a memo to staff, Chief Executive Eddie Wilson said Ryanair had hoped uh, to have the 10 MAXs operational by June 2020 however this has been forced to remove that it has been forced to remove these flights from its schedule due to the ongoing 
grounding. Wilson added that based on Boeing's estimate, Ryanair did not expect to start taking deliveries of its maxes until the autumn. We cannot rule out further base cuts and closures, said Wilson. Uh, we will do our best to avoid any more base closures, but this will mean eliminating at least 10 aircraft from existing bases, so further pilot and cabin crew jobs losses cannot be ruled out. Wilson added that the airline would aim to advise all bases by early February what further cuts or closures will be required, uh, adding they would be uh, as a direct result of the max delays. Meanwhile, Ryanair has inked a four-year labour agreement with Irish pilots Union Forza, which it said would deliver a new pay structure and roster. So, well, I mean, this 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 Mac story is just going to keep running and running, isn't it? I think until it's been solved. Yes, and it's uh, far from over. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, you might say, well, why don't they just go and lease um, wet yeah, lease some aircraft absolutely. crew? But I would imagine with the, the, the Ryanair, you know, financial model as it is, yeah. they, they probably just not allow for that kind no, of thing. Indeed, I mean, this, this yeah, is the this their, is... Own, uh, their own gear. Um, yeah definitely it's it's um i mean do do, do, i'm beginning to think is there ever going to be an end to this i mean it's uh... i think i think there will be it's just that um they are quite rightly not taking any chances whatsoever i mean they cannot afford to they cannot afford to have another hull loss they cannot afford to have any technical problems of the sort that they have Mm. uh, encountered and it's all about the the pilot training at the moment and trying to find Mm. uh, simulators around the world uh, that will do that for them so yeah. that's going to delay things a bit um but there is absolutely no point you know ir- irrespective of the financial penalty there is no point in putting anything back into the air until they have certified yeah. it in the us and then easa has certified it um yeah. in europe so uh, yeah. and of course last week um they were celebrating the fact that the triple seven x um was uh, launched wasn't it uh i think it actually yes. it launched because we we were we were following it weren't we uh, to start mm. off with um, but uh, I don't think it actually hit the air till the Saturday, did it? In the end, I think it did its maiden flight on the Saturday. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so so it's you know they're they're still churning out aircraft, I suppose, and mm. new new aircraft are being certified. Um, so it's uh, it, it is very unfortunate, isn't it? It's talk about you know. Um, was it you know all the holes in the Swiss cheese lining yeah. up for? But <laughs> anything that could go wrong at Boeing has yeah. has gone wrong, and it's just a very very unfortunate yeah. phase. Um, <clears throat> but you've got to remember that back in 1969 when they launched the 747, mm. it, it almost bankrupted the company really? um, because uh, of the, the high cost of production and, and the low uptake. So you know Boeing have been here before. I'm not saying it's anywhere near that no. stage. But, no. uh, you know, we are talking about highly advanced aircraft with, you know, a lot of technical features which, yeah. um, which they have to iron out properly, don't they? So, yeah, um, so they've been, bit, they've been here before, hope, you yeah. know, uh, if, and if, I guess if any, uh, if, you know, if any airframe manufacturer can dig themselves out of this hole, it is probably Boeing, isn't it? Well, they've got a lot of resource and, of course, they've got a lot of um, <clears throat> very clever people there as well um, so, and all the, the suppliers to Boeing as well. So they've got all the right people to do it, but they just cannot afford... Um, another screw up essentially to have, well also in, even if they get it as far as the certification bit if, if they get to the point where the FAA don't certify it mm. um, then they're not quite back to the drawing board but it's a, a big problem of course and as the article said you know Ryanair obviously were banking on the yeah. um, uh, the max for the summer uh, period spring and summer period and that's looking very much in doubt at the moment yeah 
Um, so yeah, it just goes on, doesn't it? But um, uh, they're doing the right thing, though. They, they have to. Yeah, be. I mean, as, and, and, I'm, and I, I've said on countless occasions, it's like one of those like people say, "Oh, when that when that ends up in the air, I don't want to be on a passenger on it." And I'm thinking, well, actually, no. Weirdly, uh, I would be much more comfortable in that aircraft because all the pilots will be absolutely bang up, you know, a one uh, to any alterations that have been made to it. I mean, as you say, they cannot afford for this to go wrong again, can they? So when they do return to service these things i mean confidence ought to be really high in it i mean you know as a and i'm a nervous flyer i'm the first to admit that and yet weirdly i'm thinking do you know what i'd probably take a max over most aircraft when it finally goes mm. back in the air yeah absolutely um well the next story is on the ib times um and this is interesting if you're a, a british airways customer it says clean seats aboard british airways assured only to vip passengers um, not all british airways customers are guaranteed a clean seat on board their aircraft the new policy ensures that certain vip passengers enjoy the benefit of getting a clean seat for their flight random checks carried out by ba to ensure aircraft cleanliness means that the chance of regular passengers encountering an unclean seat are very high to reduce wait time and flight delays ba cut down the cleaning time the airline uh, conducts random checks of aircraft to see if the aircraft is clean or not. The cabin crew on board the flight is expected to coax passengers to hand over their in-flight trash before the flight lands. Even though passengers may be handing over empty packets to the cabin crew, food particles collect in the seats, and the seats are then occupied by passengers who assume that the airline has taken the step of cleaning their seats. Uh, in February 2019, last year, uh, the airline ran a test to see if cutting down cleaning time reduced wait time. The Telegraph had reported that a cleaning crew did clear and rearrange the cabin, but it was unclear that they had cleaned the seats, if they had cleaned the seats. And, uh, but according to The Sun, uh, the airline informed its staff on an online forum about the new seat cleaning policy. As per the new rules, all seats to be occupied by Premier and Gold guests are to be cleaned prior to their flights. Passengers who are Premier or Gold guests can rest assured to get a clean seat irrespective of seating class. First class passengers and luxury club suite passengers uh, are... Uh, sorry, will, uh, will not get the service that the passengers on the Premier and Gold guest list are entitled to. Passengers who are on the VIP list are usually frequent flyers or those who book flights for big companies. These flyers are considered to be more important than other passengers. Do they mean me? No, um, no, no but sure, to... surely you are the elite. <laughs> cabin crew complained about the new policy stating that it's important to keep the entire flight hygienic instead of just ensuring fresh seats for certain passengers the airline claimed that checking uh, checking process in place ensured that all customers get unsoiled seats oh that's, that's not a word i like the sound of. no not when one's parking one's posterior that's not really something you want to hear is it that's right that's um, pretty you would have thought i don't know i just assumed that the whole plane was uh, was clean um but i mean there's a possibility that in some situations it isn't i mean i haven't had the luxury that uh, you have nev i'll be brutally honest i mean i you know what little flying i have done has usually involved uh, a ryanair aircraft of some description and and to be fair if you're on the first flight of the day 
um, the aircraft is very clean when you get on. It's fully stocked. It's got every beverage and food item you could possibly imagine. Um, but other than, again, other than a quick sort of courtesy tidy, um, they don't really interfere with it really until it comes back to base again for cleaning. So um, the thing is, of course, the, the, the turnaround time, especially on these short sectors. Absolutely. Um, I mean, even on the longer sector. So the uh, aircraft that came in to collect us from Seattle yeah. uh, last week was only on the ground what hour and a half really? something like Gosh. that before we yeah. got on it yeah. and so that was refueled recated cleaned um so there's only so much you can do in, in that yeah. relatively short space of time well again and you uh, using ryanair as an example of course the, the the harsh reality is obviously their turnaround times are 20 30 minutes mm. at the end of the day i mean they basically land offload passengers quickly have a quickly pick up all the magazines and put everything back in the pockets and yeah. then more passengers go on and off they go either back to original you know originating base mm. or on to another sector before returning to to its originating base yeah. so uh, yeah it's yeah. um i don't I suspect it's something we're going to see more and more of. It won't just mm. be BA, I think, um, where where they're having these problems. Um, we'll move on to the next story, if that's all right, sir. We'll go to Simple Flying for this story. And the headline is the A320neo versus the 737 MAX. What will Alaska Airlines order next? Uh, well... I guess based on current wait times, if they've got any sense, they'll go with the uh, with the A320neo. But anyway, Alaska Airlines is in need of a significant fleet refresh to replace its ex-Virgin America Airbus A319 slash A320s. But it has a dilemma whether to choose the Airbus A320neo or the Boeing 737 MAX. Uh, while Alaska Airlines isn't a big airline by American standards, it's pretty large compared to most airlines around the world. In total, Alaska Airlines operates an Active fleet of 237 aircraft, uh, 61 of which it inherited from Virgin America after it acquired the airline back in December 2016. Uh, the 61X Virgin America aircraft now operated by Alaska Airlines are all Airbus A319-A320s, but this caused a bit of an issue for Alaska Airlines as it had previously operated a Boeing-only fleet. Now the fleet of ex-Virgin America Airbus A319-A320s are in need of replacement, uh, specifically before 2024. But what should Alaska Airlines do now? So obviously the Boeing 737 MAX is one of the options, and Alaska Airlines has two options to move forward with its narrow-body fleet renewal. It wants to get a latest-generation aircraft with a maximum fuel and efficiency cost. Uh, as reported by the Points Guy, Alaska Airlines Chief Financial Officer Shane Tackett uh, highlighted the airline's motivations for a fleet refresh. We have an opportunity to replace 61 A319s and A320 aircraft with larger gauge, more efficient assets that would give us the ability to generate more revenue while lower cost units or lower unit costs. Uh, to generate more revenue while lower, yeah, uh, you get the gist, uh, he said during an Erlings call earlier this week. The first option is the Boeing 737 MAX, which, as we are all aware, comes with a long list of drawbacks. <laughs> That's a slight understatement. Alaska Airlines actually already has a sizable order for 32 of the Boeing 737 MAX on the books, but there's no real indication of when they might finally arrive. Many airlines have removed the Boeing 737 MAX from their schedules until the middle of this year, and the recertification process appears to be coming up against new hurdles regularly. As a result, another big new order for the type would be a significant gamble for Alaska Airlines because of the uncertainty surrounding the future of of the Boeing 737 MAX. New orders for the type have dropped off a cliff 
uh, Alaska Airlines would be bucking an industry-wide trend of holding off on the new orders for the 737. Uh, one, on the other hand, new Boeing 737 MAX would likely be available at a significant discount uh, if and when the type is recertified. So we'll move on to the uh, A320neo. Alaska Airlines' second option is that aircraft, which would be a move away from its all-Boeing fleet. Although the airline has been operating Airbus types uh, on lease, full-time Alaska Airlines pilots and staff would have to go through significant retraining to fly the Airbus A320neo. But like the Boeing 737 MAX, Alaska Airlines technically already has a sizable order for the Airbus A320neo, which it took over from Virgin America after the acquisition deal. Unless it cancels its commitment to this order, Alaska Airlines will be taking delivery of 30 Airbus A320neos between 2022 and 2024. Ultimately, Alaska Airlines will have to weigh up the risk of further issues with the 737 MAX versus the inconvenience it would experience if it took on the Airbus A320neo. Hmm, it's a tricky one, that, isn't it, really, I suppose? Yeah. I mean, they, they've. I was amazed when I flew out of uh, Seattle and Portland last week. Obviously, mm. that's a, two big hubs yeah. for Alaska Airlines. How many aircraft were on stands? They are yeah. Yeah, a very big base. Yeah. Uh, for, for sorry, both of the airports seem to be quite a big base. So, obviously, a big operator of, of uh, these sort of medium range aircraft. So, mm. yeah. Um, uh, as uh, Mike said in the chat room, they they not doing that until. 2022 and 2024 so hopefully all these max problems will be um <clears throat> solved by then yeah. if that's through they decide to go now i believe the phrase that i use on a regular basis is fingers and toes all crossed with not tied in anything else i can manage on a warm day um yeah. so yes yeah. it's, it's a brave move certainly i don't know i i, I don't know I, I guess the betting man in me would say probably they might risk the uh the A320, I guess. But anyway, we'll move on to the next story. That one is with Armando. Take it away. This next story from the Herald Sun, uh, an aging Iranian passenger airliner carrying 144 people crash-landed on a runway and skidded onto a major highway next to the airport, next to an airport uh, on Monday, the latest crash in the Islamic Republic as U.S. sanctions bar it from parts or getting new aircraft. So authorities have said that two people suffered injuries in the hard landing of the McDonnell Douglas MD-83 flown by Caspian Airlines uh, in a city that is uh, oil rich in southwest uh, Khuzestan province. So the passengers, apparently in shock, calmly exited the aircraft with their carry-on baggage out of a door near the cockpit and another of the plane's overwings uh, exits according to a video from uh, Iran's Civil Aviation Network News. A uh, flight attendant was shouting at passengers to calmly walk away as another crew member joined her on the wing. Uh, we crashed, uh, we crashed, but we are unhurt, said one of the passengers uh, who was visibly shaking. The provincial airport director, Mohammad Reza uh, Rezanyan, said all of the passengers had been safely taken off the airplane, which had been flying from Tehran to uh, to uh, northeast of uh, Mashar. Uh, the plane had 136 passengers and eight crew members aboard. Um, it seems that a tragedy was narrowly avoided. However, as images from the scene showed, the plane had ground to a halt not far from a populated area. The plane also missed traffic on a major highway 
linking Mashar to Imam Khomeini port. Uh, Iranian state television said the plane involved in Monday's crash came in harder than usual and lost its landing gear as it hit the tarmac. No landing gear could be seen in the pictures of the airplane after the crash, but it was not immediately clear if it failed to deploy or somehow collapse as the jet hit the runway about 7.35 local time. Obviously, the accident is under investigation. Um, their article goes on with uh, specific details and has some uh, political um, leanings in here as well as uh, just a brief summary of, of the, the shoot-down from earlier this month. Um, so you can go over to the Herald Sun and, uh, and uh, go through, through the show notes. I mean, it's 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 an it's amazing, really, when you think nobody was seriously hurt uh, with yes. something like that, isn't it? I mean, it's a a testament to how how amazing these aircraft are, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know why the article goes on about the fact it was that you know the aircraft was twenty five years old. There's plenty of twenty five, twenty six year old aircraft flying, um, uh, and I can say this because there were no injuries, but at least they didn't have to get a shuttle to the downtown area. They just <laughs> Right yes, there. Quite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, one could argue that landing on the motorway essentially, you know, gave easy access to, um, you know, transport links and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a difficult one. Everybody's sort of carrying all their cases off and stuff. I mean, we've all seen the pictures and stuff, obviously, mm. uh, earlier in the week. It's uh, it's an amazing story, really. Yeah, obviously, there was no fire or anything like that. So that yeah. obviously made a massive difference, didn't it? So, uh, but, um, yeah, it's... Um, it's pretty unusual, actually, to see to see that amount of. Well, I mean, fortunately, there were no serious injuries or, or fatalities. Like no, no, quite, no, quite. Uh, okay, we'll move on then. If uh, uh, we'll we'll leave you with story number six, shall we? Mm, yes, this is on the simpleflying dot com, uh, and it, the headline is "Why did Airbus skip the A three sixty and A three seventy names?" It's a question that I've always asked myself. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way that they went from Windows eight uh, ditched nine and went straight to <laughs> yeah, ten, it's one right. of those, they isn't did, it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, apparently Airbus uh, began began naming its aircraft with the Airbus three hundred, as we know. Uh, after this first attempt at a jetliner, it then moved to the A three ten and the A320. The A320 uh, would go on to be expanded into all the variants we know and love. So that's the A318 to the NEOs, right through to the A321 XLR, or maybe even the A322 in future. And then Airbus would scrap the A300 and A310 to build the A330 and A340 instead. However, from here it gets a little shaky because in uh, 2000, Airbus launched the A380, seemingly skipping over three different generations of Airbus aircraft. Then in 2015, they bought the A350 to the market to fill up the gap and replace the A340. So the question is, where is the Airbus A360 and A370? Well, there are three main theories as to why Airbus jumped ahead with the A380. The first is that the A380 carries double the passengers than the A340, so 650 versus 380, depending on the configuration, and thus Airbus wants to signify this in the name. Even looking at the two aircraft, you can see that the uh, A380 is essentially a double-decker A340. The second theory is that because of China, uh, 
in Chinese cultures, the number eight is very auspicious and, and considered very lucky. Airbus, knowing that China would be the, uh, become the world's largest aviation market by 2024, wanted to break into it with their uh, supermassive peaceful mover and therefore ensure that the aircraft was the eighth in the series. Additional support for this theory is found in the fact that Boeing called their own iteration of the next super large jet, the Boeing 747-8, to try and beat Airbus to the Asian market. But we do know that the main reason Boeing called the latest 747 the Dash-8 was because it shares technology from the 787. One other possible theory is that Airbus didn't skip the A360 and A370, but they are still waiting to be filled. The A380 was expected to be so huge and be sold for the next 30 to 40 years that Airbus would be very unlikely to build a bigger aircraft. Thus, they jumped ahead to build something big and wanted to circle back to the A350, 60 and 70 when they had aircraft to fill in the capacity gap. So looking at the A350, we see this was somewhat true. The A350 carries more than the A330 and A340 and is the next step up the ladder towards the A380. <clears throat> Excuse me. The A360 may have been proposed back in 2006 to fill the gap between the A350 and the A380, just like the Boeing 777X-9 or 747-400, or perhaps a long-haul low-capacity aircraft like the Boeing 747-SP. The Airbus A370, on the other hand, may have, a proposed, may have been proposed a small jet to fill in the 100-seat market segment. Uh, Airbus's move to acquire the A220 program has since fill that gap. Uh, so far, we know that Airbus has three empty slots, the A360, A370 and the A390. And we can't wait to see what they fill them with. <laughs> I mean... It's not something which I consider uh, no, every day of the week. No, indeed. Although, as I say, although, although it, it is an interesting one. Is that what, you know, why do they mm. sort of, you know, they, they were running in sequence. Perhaps yes. there is something to that A340 going to the A380 where it's essentially double the amount um, as you say, but we'll, they could well, as it says in the story, they could well go back and use the, the 360 and 370 as the 380 oh, yeah. was not the success that yeah. perhaps um, everybody was hoping. As you say, it's economic times changing and things, you know, yeah. it's uh, you want it sort of super economical, I guess. Uh, I wonder if I could trouble you to take story seven for me, please, sir, because yes. lots of really nice photographs there, that I want to share with you. So, uh, so um uh, this is the uh, on the dailymail.co.uk, um, and uh, it says that the best airline innovations for 2020 have been revealed, and they include a coffee shop style cabin, uh, Virgin Atlantic swanky soft lounge and economy seats that allow passengers to face each other. A total of 105 concepts are in the running for gongs at the prestigious. Crystal Cabin Awards, which are dubbed the Oscars of aircraft cabin design. They were whittled down from a record number of submissions from 21 countries. Awards will be presented in March across eight categories. And you can see some uh, extraordinary looking designs. I know, there. absolutely. These, it's, um, it's just amazing stuff. Yeah, well, the categories are cabin concepts, cabin systems, greener cabin, health, safety and environment in-flight entertainment and connectivity, materials and hardware, passenger comfort hardware, uh, and the university award and visionary concepts. Amongst the concepts in the running for an award are submissions that the judges say show potential for revolutionizing cabin layouts. 
One of these is Dubai Aviation Engineering Project, Project's retractable aircraft cabin, which will allow whole rooms from restaurants to spas to be inserted into the aircraft cabin during ground handling. Uh, the company says it developed the concept to capitalize on unutilized airline seating capacities to enable new ways of passenger engagement. Uh, the University of Cincinnati, meanwhile, has developed the idea of placing a long coffee table in the cabin. Explains uh, with four passengers seated at each table, a coffee house cabin allows passengers to have a personal workspace during flight. For safety, during takeoff and landing, all seats rotate towards the front of the aircraft and table wings fold down and are secured. More incredible pictures there, I must say. I mean, and, uh, it's weird, isn't it? It looks very sort of, almost look like, uh, it looks like you're in conference. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it does a bit, yeah. Well, also, it says that uh, London-based Acumen's The Room also impressed. This is a luxurious business class seat it created for all Nippon Airways that the judges say combine modern Japanese style with the best in-class dimensions. Uh, Virgin Atlantic also gets a nod for the loft, which was created for the airline's first A350-1000. It's an exclusive lounge and bar for premium class passengers. Economy cabin concepts that have caught the judges' eyes include the Hamburg-based uh, Heinkel's Flex Lounge, which are groups of four seats that can be rotated so that passengers can face each other. And Adiant has been praised for its idea to add an extension retraction mechanism to the seating row behind the partition, separating business class from economy to create a single large surface for parents and children to lie down together. When it comes to excuse me, sustainable travel and making cabins greener, the judges say that the Greywater reuse unit from Dial, uh, uh, sorry, Deal Aviation is a case in point. Instead of using precious drinking water, it uses water from hand washing in the basin to flush the toilet. Uh, the result is a saving up to 550 tonnes of CO2 per year for a single Boeing 787. Uh, several entries also looked at wireless entertainment with the Flymingo Next concept for a moment going beyond classic in-flight entertainment, say the judges. In addition to wireless streaming, the hardware integrates the Internet of Things technologies, IoT, for the crew, indicating, for example, seat occupancy and baggage locker use. Other submissions have taken the flight uh, against the grey cabin wall. One of these is uh, AERQ, a joint venture between LG and Lufthansa Technik, which aims to make the partitions between classes almost invisible. Instead of partition walls, transparent screens will show passenger information and offers from the airline. Other awards entries focused on sleep, such as uh, Stelia's sleep care app for smartphones. And the story goes on uh, quite a bit here, but um, this, I think that they've got to the stage now where the, the classic aircraft layout is, mm. is just, um, well, now they've experimented with suites and bars and all sorts of things. They now need to take it to a stage further. And I think that the, uh, the amount of design input and ideas is, is fantastic in this, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be the way forward, hasn't it? I mean, it, it, yeah. it, is, it is surely the, the, the future, isn't it, where we... Uh, where we, uh, you sort of look into, uh, it's about to uh, make it, I don't know, I, I suppose it's, sorry, I'm sort of jumbling my words here, but it, it's like, I guess it depends on what you're flying for, doesn't it? I mean, if yes. like me, you're using it as essentially as a glorified bus, um, then you're sort of, um, 
you know, a sort of the model that Ryanair uses is absolutely fine because essentially mm. you're going from A to B. Uh, it's a cheap way of getting to your holiday. But then there are times when, you know, you crave these amazing things. And I, I love the idea of being able to go to a bar and have a drink while you're flying somewhere. I'd love the idea of being able to go to a restaurant sort of style sort of thing, sit down and have a bite to eat. I would love to go and like attend a conference whilst in your, the in the air. I say that that yes. the, the the economy cabin one actually that's the thing that sort of blow, blew my mind more than anything else. Mm. It's like you're able to swing the seats around and, and up would come this sort of like sort of table that we've all sat at when we've been to conferences and things to sort of have a, have a meeting. I mean yeah. that that's just I, I don't know. I, I weirdly I find that more uh, in, uh, appealing than anything else. Creativity is the name of the game, isn't it? And, Indeed. of course, it's all about uh, weight saving as well. So anything that the designers can do and the manufacturers can do to yeah. save some weight, um, then uh, so much the better. Absolutely, yes. Okay, we're going to move on to the next story now. This one is with Armando. Uh, take it away, Armando. This uh, good news story from Yahoo Finance uh, goes on to say how no one enjoys boarding an airplane. It's slow, it's inefficient, it's often undignified. And that's without even getting into the ethical quandary of so-called gate lice, the anxious passengers who cluster at the gate before their group is called. Uh, but at least one part of the process doesn't need to be disrupted when it comes to shunting slow-moving passengers to the front of the queue, such as those requiring assistance or with small children. Airlines have it exactly right. According to a new paper published by the American Psychological, uh, I'm sorry, the American Physical Society by a team of Norwegian authors uh, shows that it's a resounding 28% more efficient to allow slower passengers to board first. This is a universal result, valid for any combination of the parameters that characterize the problem. So, Airplane boarding might not seem the most obvious preoccupation for physicists, but inefficiencies in the current system, boarding by group from the rear of the airplane to the front, have resulted in a series of academic studies trying to solve the issue, perhaps inspired by researchers' own experience of the interminable wait to board. So meanwhile, practical tests, including on the television show Mythbusters, they've proven that almost anything would be better than the system currently in place. And I think we've done some stories in the past about that. Uh, researchers had long suspected that it might be quickest to start with the slow-moving passengers, but the APS paper was a demonstration of that fact using some fairly sophisticated math. Astrophysicist Jason Hiram Stefan, an assistant professor at the University of Nevada, told this news outlet, he gives the analogy of filling a jar with rocks and sand. If you put in the sand first, followed by the rocks, you can't fit it all into the same container. But if you start with the rocks, you can pour in the sand and it'll fill in all the gaps. Here, the slow boarding passengers are the rocks, while the quicker ones are like grains of sand trickling between them and filling the spaces. Uh, though not involved in this particular paper, Stefan is no stranger to the problem of how to board passengers for more than a year. He found himself consumed by it while mowing the lawn or getting ready in the morning. Eventually, in what he describes as an act of desperation, he sat down and solved the matter in a, in a matter of weeks. 
uh, I needed to either stop thinking about it and move on to something else or find a solution. And his work was eventually published in the Journal of Air Transport Management in 2008 with follow-ups from the American Journal of Physics. Uh, his own method, which may consider many consider to be the most efficient, boards passengers in a series of waves with the first passengers called to board uh, seated in window seats two rows apart. So, uh, for example, 30A, 28A, 26A, and so on. Then the same for the other side of the airplane, 30F, 28F, 26F. And this co process continues with odd row window seats in either side, then the middle seats, then finally the aisle seats. So each person can sit down within moments of one another without getting in each other's way. In field test, it proved to be almost twice as fast as conventional methods, uh, and 20 to 30 percent faster than faster than than have uh, a complete have at it, which is just random, entirely random boarding. Um, uh, intuitively, you'd expect to board from back to front uh, to be the fastest way to get passengers onto the plane. But in actual fact, anytime you want to speed up the boarding process, the only way to really do it is to have multiple people sitting down at the same time. Um, so there you go. There is uh, documented evidence that there are better methods out there and hopefully somebody listens and implements it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, I mean, you, you, your uh, experience of uh, passenger loading will be far superior to mine. I mean, uh, how, what, are, what are your thoughts on this one, Nev? It just takes so long. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think Lufthansa came up with a really good solution. This is quite a long time ago now, probably back in the 90s when we used to fly them quite a lot. They used, they used to board from the back of the aircraft right. first using the window seats first, then the center seats and then the aisle seats. And that seemed to work quite well. But then you've got the, I mean, now you've got all this business of group boarding and, and, and all the rest of it um, and each airline does it slightly differently um, mm. and especially when you get the wrong people coming up from the wrong group and then there's tutting going on and, and general <laughs> <Yeah>. displeasure mainly <laughs> by me uh, of course absolutely certainly given the uh, experience you had uh, that you well, were telling us about at the start of the show but yeah, uh, exactly. yeah it's one um, of those uh, I, I see we've got uh, royalty in the in the uh, chat room yes, by the uh, way Captain uh, Jeff has uh, absolutely woken up it, it, nice. <laughs> and he sort of said, uh, wait a minute, Arm Armando isn't live? Hang on. Oh, he said, is everything pre-recorded? The answer to that, uh, Jeff, is obviously yes. Uh, how else would we make it quite so slick as we are this evening? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there we go. I, I, it's, uh, it's all part of the fun, isn't it? It's, um, I don't know. Is, is there a solution to this? I mean, it's just... I don't know. Well, I think the, the problem is, and I was just, uh, this 777, we, we flew back on from Seattle on, uh, what would it have been, Sunday night, yeah. um, back to Heathrow. I mean, it took forever to board the aircraft. Um, and it was just people mucking about. And uh, the trouble is that, you know, that I suppose, how much time does it take? It probably takes about 40 minutes to board a a fully laden triple seven, something like that. Yeah. Um, and the last five minutes, so there's still people coming down the jetway. And <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, I mean, because you're dealing with human beings here, I don't think everyone's got the, everyone's got the 
sorry, anyone has got the perfect solution no. to this because uh, people behave in different ways. They do. Um, and it's, it obviously can create a massive amount of delay and, you know, ultimately the aircraft could lose their slot time. For, for well, yeah, absolutely. You get a bit bigger delays yet still, especially if you're at a busy airport like, say, Heathrow. I mean, you know, where, where slots are at a premium. Uh, Flyer152 in the chat room saying random boarding is the best way. Uh, some guy by the name of Carlos Stebbings never heard of him uh, says no. boarding by the overwing exit now that's the way forward uh, it's a very helpful uh, <laughs> chip in there by our illustrious leader uh, but uh, yeah can I uh, trouble you to take the next story please sir yes by all means this is a, a good story because uh, the thing is finally off the ground well, hey. so this yeah. is the uh, <laughs> On the simpleflying.com website, and uh, it's all about the Boeing 777X and its uh, second test flight. So on January the 29th, the uh, 777X uh, took off just after half past nine Seattle time, or just after 17.30 UTC. According to data from Flight Radar 24, the flight was in the air for just under four hours and 45 minutes. Uh, the flight took off from Boeing Field and headed east uh, as the excuse me, as the aircraft headed eastwards over Spokane, I think that's pronounced, in, and into Idaho airspace, the 777X made a few turns and manoeuvres. This was likely to allow Boeing to conduct some flight tests on the aircraft. Uh, after a few hours in the air, the 777X turned back towards Seattle and landed safely at Boeing Field, so not very far from where I was uh, on Sunday night. Uh, for the most of the flight, the 777X maintained an altitude of just over 19,000 feet. This is far lower than uh, what most commercial airplane, airplanes fly at for long distances. However, this altitude was likely chosen so that the flight test would not interfere with commercial aircraft operations. Uh, of course, Boeing's uh, 777X has had a few hiccups getting off the ground. Issues with the massive and powerful GE-9X engines uh, delayed the first flight of the aircraft. A fun fact for you, the diameter of the GE-9X opening is larger than the, the diameter of the 737 MAX's fuselage. Oh, wow. Uh, Boeing initially anticipated the first flight to occur in mid-2019. Uh, then... Uh, Boeing's 777X faced an unexpected event during structural testing. It turns out that during stress testing, the 777X's fuselage ripped apart. Uh, this forced Boeing to go further go back and make some modifications to the 777X. I've got to say that all the stress testing that's done on these aircraft is far in excess of, uh, of yeah. levels that you would ever expect in, in real life flying and e even in the worst possible turbulence. But again, you know, it, it did fail, so they need to go back and look at it. But uh, finally, in January of this year, um, the date for the first flight of the 777-9 came. However, that first flight was delayed by a day due to weather, then high tailwinds forced the 777X uh, first flight to once again be pushed out. Uh, finally, on Saturday of last week, uh, the Boeing 777-9 made its maiden flight. Now, with this second test flight under Boeing's belt, the aircraft manufacturer has to continue to rigorously test the aircraft. After the 737 MAX crisis, regulators will likely take a longer and harder look at the 777X. Not to mention Boeing needs to continue to work towards restoring public and industry confidence in its aircraft. The 777X could be the clean start that Boeing needs ahead of several ambitious projects. 
airlines now largely expect the 777X to enter passenger service in 2021. Since 2019, both Emirates and Lufthansa have prepared for this delay and are taking it into account when it comes to each other's airlines' respective fleet strategy. Uh, Boeing's uh, second 777X test flight went well and bodes well for the aircraft manufacturer. For now, Boeing needs to continue to make progress on the certification for this aircraft ahead of passenger service and perhaps log a few more orders now that the 777X has made its maiden flight. Well, they could do with a bit of luck, couldn't they? Uh, the I mean, Boeing aircraft company right now. <laughs> this, this sounds like an odd question to be asking. And I guess, uh, I mean, I don't suppose anybody really knows the answer to this, but I mean, has confidence in Boeing really been that badly damaged over the whole Max thing? I don't think so. I mean, yeah. The, the thing is, when there are new aircraft developments and, and things going on, there are going to be things that, you know, yeah. go wrong from time to time. You've got to remember that the this aircraft company has been manufacturing uh, some of the very best aircraft in the mm. world for an awfully long time, and they know how to make uh, and get certification for their airplanes. Yeah. I think that the problem is that the press in particular have just gone full on about the whole max thing and i'm not taking away from the fact that it was a you know it was two very bad accidents yeah, absolutely that caused yeah. the, it, hundreds of people uh, to lose their lives but i think to say that uh, in you know confidence isn't instilled in boeing is isn't right no um, I no think absolutely that most people would say yep quite happy to get on a, on a boeing aircraft at any mm. time yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know that, and you know, you've only got to look at things like the seven four seven and that. I mean, there's a lot of love for the seven four seven, isn't there? That uh, that I don't think will ever wane. Uh, let's be honest. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We'll move on to the next story then. Uh, sticking with simple flying, slightly unusual story. This uh, Qantas suspends the transportation of pugs. There we are. There's a story you didn't think you'd hear uh, today. Pugs and other snub-nosed dogs are temporarily unable to fly on board Qantas after a recent death of a four-legged family member on board uh, the carrier. Due to the genetics, the snub-nosed dogs have trouble breathing on board aircraft and can suffer complications in flight. Uh, so what are the details? So flying with dogs can be tricky unless the airline allows the animal to sit in the cabin, such as buying an extra seat or claiming uh, the animal is an emotional support animal, it is generally required to go in the cargo hold. However, conditions in the boarding process, flying and landing, can be rather traumatic for an animal, especially if the animal has trouble breathing. The animals can be left uh, on the hot tarmac and in a cage uh, whilst the aircraft loads its cargo and might even be dehydrated. One such animal that is greatly at risk are breeds of snub-nosed dogs such as pugs, boxers, bulldogs, etc. These dogs are very susceptible to changing air conditions and temperature. Uh, speaking to the Air Cargo News, uh, Qantas's freight chief customer officer Nick McGlynn said that these types of dogs are hugely popular, but unfortunately they are high-risk flyers due to their respiratory systems and breathing problems. The risk is even higher in hot conditions, and this summer we've seen a tragic spike in deaths of uh, snub-nosed dogs in extreme weather. Uh, up. Un unfortunately, Qantas has found out the hard way after an animal died on board when a family was flying to another Australian city. Thus, Qantas has decided to temporarily suspend flying snubdose dogs for two weeks until it can be, f it can till it can fully implement. Sorry, uh, new policies. Uh, I, I won't go on. It's, a, it's sort of, I mean, obviously, it's it's a sort of very sad story, but. Uh, 
I, I mean, surely the solution to this is that they 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 have a facility where they can travel on board. I mean, yeah, you know, because because the, the cabin is properly pressurised there, and and that I I, I guess this is more of a because obviously here in the UK, I mean. You don't not the transportation of animals is relatively unusual, especially if you're. I yeah. guess if you were relocating, but you certainly wouldn't bring someone with you. You know, a, with your pet with you if you were going on holiday. Exactly no, right. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, that's good to uh, learn about it. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is this my story? It is. Yes, was? absolutely. Yes, yes. No, uh, uh, Armando was uh, next one. He's he's in military mode for the next one. So oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Well, this is on the Reader's Digest. Oh, <laughs> oh, quick prize draw, anyone? <laughs> I, I thought they just had that little A5. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, they, so. apparently not. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is all about um, midair humour and fifteen hilarious announcements oh, airlines dear. have actually made. Well, I'm not sure they're that hilarious. But uh, let's. Uh, <laughs> well, you're let's the expert. Run. You're the pun expert, sir. So well, I can't. Yeah, I can't wait to hear your take on this. No, some of the quality of this oh, leave dear. a great deal to be desired. <laughs> uh, it says, uh, well, this is an example of some of them. Welcome aboard Southwest Flight 245 to Tampa. To operate your seatbelt, insert the metal tab into the buckle and pull tight. It works just like every other seatbelt. And if you don't know how to operate one, you should shouldn't be out in public unsupervised. Oh. That's just a bit uh, rude, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, this one is called about crowd control, and this reminds me of my flight back from Seattle where the uh, flight attendant uh, yells out, people, people, we're not picking out furniture here. Find a seat and get in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds very appropriate to your flight uh, coming well, home. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, another one is, uh, we'd like to thank you folks for flying with us today. And the next time you get the insane urge to go blasting through the skies in a pressurised metal tube, we hope you'll think of US Airways. Uh, who better to remind you of how crazy what you're doing actually is than the people who do it for a living? Well, quite, yes. <laughs> uh, another one, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've reached cruising altitude and we'll be turning down the cabin lights. This is for your comfort and to enhance the appearance of your flight attendants. Oh, how rude. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah. could yes right. <laughs> uh, and with uh, regard to uh, emergency evacuation procedures, it says there may be fifty ways to leave your lover, but there are only four ways out of this aeroplane. <laughs> Remember, the closest ex closest exit may be behind you. In which case, just slip out the back, Jack. I mean, oh. <laughs> I'm going to have a word with Carlos. This is yes. just. Oh, painful! Isn't yes, it? indeed. Go on, give, give us one more, and then we'll we'll pull I'm a blog on it. I think. Find one that's half good, <laughs> vaguely but, amusing. Well, okay. he, here's one. Then, yeah. Weather at our destination is 50 degrees with some broken clouds, but we'll try to have them fixed before we arrive. <laughs> Thank you. Remember, nobody loves you or your money more than Southwest Airlines. <laughs> I must admit, I quite like that one. I, I well, yeah, really it's, like, it, out of all yeah. the ones, it's probably the better of the uh, <laughs> collection. But, oh, um, apparently, uh, Micah has uh, chipped in saying there are more than 50 ways to leave your luggage, however, which I think oh, is yes, probably a, a good point. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, um, I, I, and on that sort of damp squid, uh, that is where we bring the commercial aviation news to a close. Yes, yeah, so I think I think I think we're going to be having a meeting with Carlos, aren't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Later. In well, the we'll week. be doing most of the talking. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> Quite. Uh, so uh, the time has come uh, for part five, sir, of a rather fascinating little uh, chat that uh, you and Captain Nick had. 
Yes, indeed. And this is uh, the, the fifth part uh, of the uh, series of Captain John Hutchinson. There were a lot of industrial troubles that were occurring in your company. Now, this was about the same time that a BEA Trident went down at Staines, and it was famously dis been discovered that graffiti had been scratched by the first officers on their table that read, Key, the captain, must die. The inquiry found that considerable friction existed between senior captains and junior pilots, such as you would have been around that time. Now, did you acknowledge this or experience any of this? Well, first of all, that Trident crash was BEA, mm. not BOAC, yeah, of course. Yes. And we were separate entities back then. Um, there is no doubt that a lot of the captains I flew with on 707s who were ex-wartime Bomber Command pilots were fairly autocratic. Um, and some of them, I have to say, not really up to speed with flying a four-engine jet aircraft. Having said that, many of them were very capable, so you know, don't, don't get the impression that all these people were sort of slightly incapable ex-piston engine bomber pilots, no. They, no, sure. And there, were, there, were, there was an element of that, but a lot of them were very good. And actually, funnily enough, one of my great regrets is that, you know, these guys never talked about their war, very private. And I wish I'd had the temerity, if you like, as a sort of junior first officer to quiz them about their wartime experiences. Um, there's one chap I flew with. Um, very colourful chap. Uh, I did my 747 conversion course with him and his party trick was to go out over the ocean in a 747 down to about 50 feet, head towards the cliffs of Moor and heave the aeroplane over the cliffs of Moor. Well that chap died not so long ago, five years or so ago, and there was an obituary to him. He was one of the dam busters. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> and I never, I, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. And I never. So, you know, that that is a regret I have. Um, I've sidetracked myself completely now. What, what was the original <laughs> question? Well, we were, <laughs> I was really trying to get at the, um, the oh, yes, pap authority Papa gradient. Papa India, I think, yeah, was the... the that was it. It, and it was about the friction and the, the, the concern that between the young Hamble cadets yeah. uh, and these senior old pilots. Yes, it, 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 there was some sort of industrial action. I don't think BOAC were involved in this. I think it was BEA that were oh, involved right, okay. in this particular spurt of mm -hmm. industrial yeah. action. And there had been some massive row that this captain had had in the crew room. That's right. Before yes. going onto the flight deck. Mm. 
And he was in a very, obviously, in a very sort of agitated state. But partly state. because the senior captains were on one side and the junior first officers were on the other side of this dispute. Well, I, th I, I don't know who he'd had a row with, whether it was, it wasn't with, the, I don't think it was with the, the two first officers that were on that particular flight. I think he had come, come onto the flight deck and those two chaps were already present and correct doing checks and things. But suffice to say that the chap in the right-hand seat, as far as I'm aware, was a very, very junior um, uh, first officer. And the, he was being checked out by the more senior one. And this very irate, steamed up captain arrives and sits in the left-hand seat. And I think, quite frankly, the chap in the right-hand seat, this very junior chap was terrified of him. Oh. And, and and was just anxious beyond all belief to try and do do all the right things. And the Trident had a slight flaw in it. I mean, I, th I think any airplane where you can retract the slats um, without sequencing it with the flaps is, mm. has, a, has a massive design flaw. Yeah, so, which they acknowledged in the end. Which they acknowledged. Yeah, and yeah. so when the order was given to bring the flaps up to whatever the setting was, he went and pulled the slaps in instead. Mm. With tragic results. And effectively results. stalled the aeroplane. Yeah, tragic results. With tragic results. But you, you got on well with your captains at this point, or there was the odd one? I, uh, yeah, uh, they, they were autocratic, but, mm. you know, they, they were perfectly easy to get on with. You, you didn't have the... You you weren't sort of having rows with them or anything like that. No, no, no. I mean, my main criticism was that many of them were very reluctant to give you any flying. Oh, really? And I think that probably partly stemmed from the fact that they weren't that confident in flying the 707 themselves, so they weren't quite sure, you know, they weren't too happy to give the flying away. Interesting. Interesting. Now, you obviously love flying the 747. Uh was moving to the VC-10 for your command course a bit of a disappointment? The 747 was magnificent, yes. As I always describe it as a gentleman's aerial carriage, it's the most benign and comfortable, splendid aeroplane. Um, I mean, here it is today, in 2019, still mm. flying. But I do know that Boeing... Um, bet the bank on it. They uh, they built this aircraft with about 25 orders from uh, Pan Am, and they needed to sell 400 to make yep. to save the company to break even. Yep. It was it, it, they, they, did they took a real the risk. It, they took they? a yeah. real risk, and you know here it is today, still flying. Mm. Uh, 50 years later, it's a it's a remarkable airplane. Uh, so going on to the VC10, well. The VC-10 was a delightful aeroplane to fly. Um, so I'd gone from one very nice aeroplane to fly to another very nice aeroplane to fly. Yeah. So, and I deliberately, I could have gone back to the 707 if I'd wanted to. Okay. I had the choice, you know, which yeah. do you want, Hutchinson, 707s or VC-10s? I thought, well, I've never flown a VC-10. Let's have a VC-10. And... It was a delightful piece of kit. 
Getting aside from my script here, what was the command course like in those days? Um, quite intense and pressured, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, you. Um, I can't remember much about it. Um, I think the main thing I remember about it is all the trips I had to do under supervision before I was finally cleared as a captain in my own right. And each one of those under-supervision trips was a sort of make-or-break exercise, mm. um, potentially. So, um, you know, you you had to be on your toes very much. So, so. a tough course. It was a tough course, yes. Mm. Mm. Um, now, you say that uh, in your book that BOEC had always preferred the 707, but at the time, it was a bit oversized and underpowered for many of the old Empire routes. Uh, wasn't it the case that they'd gone to Vickers and specifically asked them to build an aircraft to operate from high, hot airfields, such as Johannesburg? Um, but when they built the VC-10 for them, they kind of reneged on the deal and didn't really want to uh, buy it? I don't know whether they... My memory doesn't sort of encompass that, but what I do think certainly happened is that they started sort of trying to change the requirements that they wanted out of the aeroplane, sort of halfway through its sort of design. Uh, never a good and, idea. And it's never a good idea. <laughs> um, so it, it ended up not quite the aeroplane, I guess, that it, was, that it was supposed to have been. But it was but that's, that was the That was the whole purpose of it mm. in the... In the origins of it was the hot and high airfields so, in Africa. So very much overpowered, a beautiful clean wing. Yep. I envy you having the opportunity to fly it. Yes, no, it was, it was a very nice aeroplane to fly. Oh, I'm really enjoying oh. this series. Yes, so am I. How many, how, many, uh, how many more parts have we got to look forward to? I don't know yet, uh, oh. because I've got, uh, <laughs> that's all the ones I've edited so far. Okay. Uh, get ahead of the game. Uh, but Sorry. I've got another, uh, two parts to edit, uh, at least, uh, and there, there may be more. So, um, but uh, yeah, um, this is obviously all before John's time on uh, Concord. And we'll yeah. Coming on to that very shortly. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be... Uh, yeah. Good enough. That, that's the bit I'm most looking forward to, I've got to be <laughs> honest. I uh, can't wait to hear all about it. Uh, right, OK, it's time uh, to move on to, uh, he says, frantically pressing all the buttons. It's time to move on to the military. So if you're ready, sir. Yes, I am. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, he pressed the wrong button again. <laughs> <laughs> So kicking off the military segment, the Department of Defense has released the names of two uh, American airmen who were killed in a crash in Afghanistan this Monday. Uh, officials identified as the deceased men as Lieutenant Colonel Paul Voss and Captain Ryan uh, Fanouf. Uh, they were killed during the crash of a Bombardier E-11 aircraft in Afghanistan's Ghazni uh, province which is an area controlled by the Taliban. The cause of the crash is not yet known, but officials have said there's no indication that it was caused by enemy fire. 
Voss from Guam was assigned to Headquarters Air Combat Command in uh, Joint Base Langley-Eustis, Virginia. He was on a voluntary deployment to Afghanistan when the crash occurred. Uh, it is really hard to describe how sad we are at the loss of two great airmen. Lieutenant Colonel Voss was our brother and our teammate, said General Mike Holmes, the commander of Air Combat Command, in a statement to Newsweek. The men and women of our Air Force knowingly put themselves in harm's way, and I'm thankful for great Americans like them. Our thoughts and prayers are with their family members and our fellow airmen during this difficult time. Uh, the other gentleman was from Hudson, New Hampshire. He was assigned to the 37th Bomb Squadron at Ellsworth Air Force Base, South Dakota. Um, his leadership says, uh, Our hearts are heavy to learn of the tragic loss of Captain Ryan Fanouf of Hudson, New Hampshire, in Afghanistan. My deepest con condolences with his family, friends, and fellow airmen. I join a grateful nation in honoring the life and service of this brave American who made the ultimate sacrifice. So this plane was part of a small specialized uh, fleet of aircraft used uh, for an Air Force program called the Battlefield Airborne Communications Node, or BACON, which provides real-time information to battlefield areas by relaying data. It was based out of Kandahar, about 170 mi uh, miles from the crash site, and was part of the 430th uh, Expeditionary Electronic Combat Squadron. Uh, shortly before the crash, the plane is said to have sent out a mayday call while cruising at 42,000 feet. The reason for the crash is unknown, but officials uh, had previously told one news outlet that the working theory involves a fuel system problem. Of course, a full investigation into the cause is underway. Um, the uh, Officials also concerned, confirmed that the Navy SEALs recovered the remains of the two men from the crash site along with the flight data recorder. Uh, the aircraft was uh, destroyed after the recovery according to standard military practice. Um, the remains were found near the crash site treated with dignity and respect by the local Afghan community and in accordance with their culture, said uh, U.S. forces in Afghanistan. Initially, the Taliban had claimed responsibility for downing the airplane, saying that everyone on it, uh, including high-ranking intelligence officials, however, the U.S. officials dispute this claim, and the group has been known to make questionable or exaggerated claims. Officials have been recently negotiating with the Taliban in hopes of coming to an, uh, a peace agreement. And I mean, again, it's it's a. a, a a week for sad stories, really, isn't it? It's, I was just um, thinking the same thing, actually. We've, we've covered so many tragic accidents, haven't we, yeah. this week, uh, of varying types. And, uh, yeah. yeah. A so, bad week, I think, for aviation, yeah. I think, is, <clears throat> yeah. is, uh, yeah. is fair to stay, say. As I say, obviously, our, our thoughts uh, go out to uh, <clears throat> everyone uh, involved uh, in all that, sort of families, friends, etc. Um, it's, um, it's, 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 it's awful, isn't it, really? It is yep. awful. Absolutely. We'll move on then, if we yep. may, sir. And so the next one is with you. Yeah, it's on the defenseconnect.com.au. And it says that the uh, RAAF welcomes the first PC 21 trainer aircraft. 
taking train to New Heights, uh, Air Force Number no. 4 Squadron, based at the RAAF base Williamtown, has welcomed its first uh, Pilatus PC-21 aircraft to their new home. Regarded as the, the world's most advanced pilot training aircraft, the PC-21's arrival on Friday the 24th of January at 4 Squadron uh, demonstrated the platform's training versatility, with the aircraft being engaged and immersed in a different but highly significant training role. Uh, Commanding Officer of Number 4 Squadron, uh, Wing Commander Sean Jobson, said that the PC-21 replaces the recently retired PC-9A and will contribute to vital squadron training activities. The PC-21 will assist in preparing the next generation of uh, joint terminal attack controllers, supporting forward air control and air surface integration across a broad spectrum of operations, Wing Commander Jobson says. Uh, Air Force, <coughs> excuse me, Air Force is currently transitioning to the PC-21 trainer as part of the most significant technolo- technological upgrade in the Air Force Forces' uh, 98-year history. Number 4 Squadron has a joint service responsibility for guiding and training the development of JTACs. Uh, the arrival of the new aircraft will ensure personnel have the opportunity to continue to execute kinetic effects in real-time scenarios, explained Wing Commander Johnson. JTAC, uh, sorry, JTAC training includes the ability to plan, brief, control and report on aircraft to provide close air support in the battlefield. The PC-21 will ensure that Number 4 Squadron continues to deliver the high standards of mission training, so JTAC personnel are personnel are and continue to remain combat ready wing commander johnson said <clears throat> excuse me the first three number four pc 21 uh, aircraft ferried from rwf uh, base east sail in victoria with remaining number four squadron aircraft expected to arrive at rwf uh, base williamtown in february 2020 Uh, The Pilatus PC-21 is the world's most advanced pilot training aircraft. As part of the AIR 5428 pilot training system project, the PC-21 will replace the Air Force's current PC-9A. Uh, It'll be based at the uh, East Cell in Victoria and the uh, RAF base Pierce in Western Australia. I don't know why they've repeated that uh, uh, paragraph, but that's, do you know they they do that a lot, don't they? That's, that's the internet for you, isn't it? It is yeah. absolutely. It's one of those one of those irritating habits that they've all got into, isn't it? Where you yes. you read the headline and then the first paragraph is essentially repeating the yes. headline. Uh, but yes. uh, I guess that's the joys of dumbing down the news, everyone. <laughs> Anyway, on that bombshell, we'll move on to the next story. This is on the Defence News, defencenews.com website. And the headline is, US Defence Department launches Gremlins drone from a mothership for the very first time. Uh, So this is uh, out of Washington. The US Defence Department is one step closer to having uh, swarming drones that it can launch from military planes and recover in mid-air, having successfully conducted the first flight of the Gremlins aircraft back in November. The test, which occurred at Dugway Proving Ground in Utah, proved that a C-130A could successfully launch an X-61A Gremlins air vehicle, said uh, Tim Keeter, who manages the program for Dynetics. Uh, The company won the Gremlins contract from the Defence 
Advanced Research Projects Agency back in 2018. It gives us a lot of confidence going forward that this vehicle can fly where it's supposed to fly, uh, how it's supposed to fly. Keita said during a January 21st phone call with the reporters. Now the team can be principally focused on the other portion of our program plan, which is to successfully rendezvous with a C-130 dock with our docking system and safely recover the vehicle. During the test, which lasted one hour and 41 minutes, the X-61A flew with no anomalies and the DARPA Dynetics team uh, completed all test uh, objectives, including transitioning the X-61A from a cold engine start to stable flight, validating the Gremlin's data links and handling, uh, handing off control of the drone between air and ground control stations, uh, deploying the docking arm and collecting data from the air vehicle. However, uh, during the recovery process, the drone crashed to the ground and was destroyed. The drogue, pa the drogue parachute... Um, which deployed uh, first to slow uh, the air vehicle, functioned as planned, Keita explained. However, the larger main parachute, which would soften the landing of the air vehicle so that the drone could be reused, did not correctly deploy due to a mechanical issue. Uh, Dynetics has built four other Gremlin vehicles, leaving enough drones to accomplish the program's primary requirement to fly and recover four Gremlins in 30 minutes, said Scott. Uh, who is the DARPA's Gremlins program manager. Uh, the next, it seems strangely ironic that uh, a project called Gremlin might have had a Gremlin with its parachute, yes. but <laughs> the irony is not lost on me. The next demonstration set for sometime this spring will verify whether the Gremlins can be successfully recovered by the C-130 whilst in flight. Uh, it, this was characterised uh, that the test uh, was as critical for proving that the Gremlin can be reused over multiple missions, a key point for bearing out the cost-effectiveness of the concept. Uh, if I had an expandable vehicle, uh, an expendable vehicle, sorry, at some point uh, I'm not going to want to be able to uh, use those things because they're just too expensive, he said. But if I can recover them and then amortise uh, the cost the, that of that vehicle over 10 or say 20 or even 30 sorties, maybe there's a bend in the curve somewhere that really will allow us to benefit from these smaller, more affordable, attributable systems. Uh, during the recovery process, the C-130 will lower a towed capture device that will mate with the Gremlin's drone, thus uh, avoiding the turbulence generated by the wake of a larger aircraft. Uh, Keita has said, once the drone is stabilised by the capture device, an engagement arm deploys docking the X-61A and bringing inside the C-130 cargo bay to be stowed. I mean, it, this does seem sort of, it seems like a very sort of recycle, recyclable friendly sort of way of uh, reusing um, reconnaissance drones and stuff, doesn't it? Have you noticed as well how difficult it is to read military stories? Military stories, yes, absolutely. I know there's lots of acronyms that <laughs> perhaps we're not always used to, but do they make it deliberately difficult to read? Do you I think? think they make it so that only people like Armando can actually understand I it. I think that's what it is. But we're very lucky because we do have an Armando who can translate yeah. everything for us. Yeah. Uh, no, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I love stuff like this. I mean, as I say, I'm not sure Gremlins is necessarily the correct uh, term for a device like this because it conjures up all sorts of uh, mogwise and late night feeding uh, in the world of Matt but um, that's just because I'm, I'm a bit of a film buff but it, it's great I mean I, I think this is the future I mean you know the, the, the times the times are disappearing where you know warfare invo involves humans in any way let's be honest yeah I agree absolutely
Um, so, uh, next up then, um, you remember that Carlos and I went to the Dubai air show and behind me here is a lovely shot uh, <laughs> that we took uh, as we climbed up the tower, literally climbed up the tower yeah, on a very absolutely. rickety ladder. Uh, and again, as you've probably seen and heard, we've had some fantastic access to the people mm. and the aircraft there. This is the last interview in this series that we did when Carlos and I went on to a, uh, the Etihad Boeing 787 Dreamliner. So I've been lucky enough uh, indeed to come on board uh, Etihad's Dreamliner. And uh, I'm here with... Abdullah Al Shahi, I'm uh, first officer with Etihad Airways since 2010, and uh, I was on 3:30 and 3:20, and now I'm flying the 787 uh, Dreamliner, which is the future aircraft uh, of this world. So Abdullah, uh, how many different aircraft types have you flown in your in your time? Actually, you... three, but Airbus you can say 319, 320, 321, and 3:30, and this one now 787. Uh, dash nine, dash ten. And your favourite between them? Actually, I like the automation in Airbus, but you know, seven eight seven is uh, very smart. All the screens are here. We should, we couldn't find it in Airbus. Uh, so now I can say the the seven eight is my best aircraft now. And it's it's lovely environment uh, when you're cruising at uh, high altitude, better than other aircraft. So for you, Abdullah, where did, uh, where did your flying start? Was it uh, PPL, or your pro uh, private pilot license? Yeah, I started with the Tihad, the cadet program with the Tihad, uh, from the PPL up to the ATPL. And uh, we have this course, the university degree, that we have to take it to be a pilot with the Tihad. So basically, I have the ATPL license and the bachelor degree in aviation science. Well, how long did that take? Actually, five years. I can say five years, yeah. Brilliant. And the whole, was it a fun, because in the UK it costs a lot of money to, to learn to fly. How is it expensive to learn to fly in UAE? Actually, here, uh, the company, uh, they give us salary and they cover everything from zero to, until we end flying, yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah. That's really good, yeah. No, no, many, no uh, many countries do that. And obviously the flying, you've got the weather here, the good weather in the UAE, for, which is great for learning to fly. Um, but obviously... <laughs> Actually, not really. <laughs> no, it's not really good weather. We fly in Al Ain, we train on Al Ain, which is, you know, it's a desert, it's bumpy, and sometimes it's very hot, so we cannot fly. Either. If the temperature reaches like more than 40, we cannot fly. So a lot of time we cancel our flight because of that. So what aircraft did you learn to fly in? Uh, Cessna. Uh, Cessna 172 and Diamond okay. A42. And uh, obviously the, the Cessna 172, a great training it's aircraft. Beautiful. beautiful. And you enjoyed flying? Of course, yeah. And can you still remember your first solo flying? Uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Was it good? It's very nice. Yeah. It's an amazing feeling when you take the aircraft from the parking to take off and land again. Oh, fantastic. It must be so great, a great feeling to go from a 172 to, to flying exactly which uh, actually I don't uh, and when I was cadet I don't uh, know when I will become like a real pilot in this aircraft but the time is fast moving and here I am now and I swear, I think for children as well for young children it's it's great you know with with people especially with families if you've got families that you know mothers and fathers who learn to fly it's great 
yeah for sure yeah. yeah 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 they can do it they can start with the microsoft uh, simulator yeah. and then they can jump here you, you've used that actually no, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> so one of the things uh, a lot of pilots say to us is that they don't like the sim well they're going in the sim training is it something you you enjoy or the sim training not really no no because you know the sim is test for you mm. you learn but it is a test by the end of the the sim you know you grade for that and uh, but sometimes it's fun when you do a lot of things which you cannot do in the real aircraft so with etihad um, you obviously you're you're sitting um right seat um, how, how long is it now until you can, can go into the to left seat, I Captain? I can say three years when I get my uh, hours. Now I have like 2,700 hours. So it's still more like 2,500 hours and then I can jump on the left seat. Wow, and is that a big conversion? Uh, do you have to have a lot of training to move into this seat? Yeah, you have to do a lot of courses and uh, training in the simulator. Yeah, it's not uh, easy jump from the right to left seat, but while I do it from the cadet to here, so I can do it uh, from right to left seat. So you definitely want to sit here for sure, in the future. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's great to tell all the friends, I expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what's the future? You're obviously, you're going to stay with Etihad and move to the left seat, hopefully in the future. Yeah, and if I can get like uh, two jobs with Etihad, like management and flying, which will be great. Yeah. So would you fancy flying the 380? Uh, no, never. I didn't no. fly it, no. If they ask me to fly it before 7-8, I will choose the 380. But you like the Dreamliner more? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easier conversion. for Actually, not, it's not easy for me when I convert from Airbus to 7-8. It's totally different aircraft. It's a big a question for you. Then. With the Airbus and Boeing, obviously with the Boeing you've got the control yoke, yeah. and with the Airbus you've got the side Joystick. stick. What, what do you prefer? What's your preference? Side stick or...? This one you can feel it more when you fly it, like you are flying it. But that one, you just, uh, you know, it's a little bit of touching and that's it. So you, like Boeing guys before, they laugh on us. You are not really pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm really pilot. <laughs> but you, but so given that choice, given that choice between the Boeing and Airbus, you prefer the further Boeing. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah it's, it's, I told you, it's uh, the future aircraft. The future, yeah. yeah. Uh, if I have to choose, maybe I will choose the 350 instead of 78 because I have the three, uh, the Airbus uh, license already. Mm. So it will be easier to me to convert from one type to other type. During the flight deck, you've got the head-up displays. Yeah. How easy are they to use? Are they, are they a very good tool to use? Flying? It's very good, but sometimes it's annoying, especially at night, because you cannot see the front, uh, the aircraft in front of you. You know, it's a green light, so you cannot see uh, really well. But it's, uh, it's a good tool, especially in low visibility, it's very helpful. Very helpful. Yeah, okay, we yeah. can. Yeah. So uh, before we finish, uh, one last question for you. Sure. We ask all the pilots <laughs> on the show. Um, if you were given the chance to, to go outside now and fly any aircraft, military, civilian airliner, any aircraft, to go outside now and, and fly yourself, what would that aircraft be? Commercial. Co commercial aircraft? Commercial. Uh, with, what, what type of aircraft? Uh, any aircraft, you could fly retired or still Maybe flying? jet, jet aircraft is very fun because they climb very high and their speed is very high as well. 
maybe jet aircraft, like, you know, the uh, business jet aircraft. A business jet. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> thank well, you. thank you for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank and you so I know much. the listeners will uh, love to hear from you, yeah. so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so All much. the best for the future. Thanks. Do you know what? When, when I'm watching stuff like that, I, I, I sit there and I feel really bad. And do you know why? Because that man's English was absolutely incredible. And you just think, me as a very lazy Englishman who has the he can barely speak English himself, and that man in a essentially probably a second or maybe even third language is having this really complicated conversation about the Boeing seven eight seven and his love of flying, and you just think, you know, it's terrible, really, isn't it? We, we should be ashamed of yeah. ourselves sometimes. Yeah, but uh, no, it was good, and uh, so that uh, concludes our coverage from the Dubai Air Show twenty nineteen. We had a great time there. And, uh, yeah, the weather was just nice as well. And uh, just as we left, it all closed in and got very wet. And yeah, cold. yeah. You, so you we, talk about getting your timing right, didn't you? So, uh, yes, looking forward to uh, more air show coverage uh, during... Uh, this year we've got yeah. some things lined up we need i think we need a, one of those production meetings don't we do we? absolutely so, we're uh, hopefully in the next week or so we'll have a we'll sit down and have a bit of a chat about it um yeah because nice. i, I want to get a summer meetup planned as well that's that's mm. the thing so we need to sit down and have a bit of a chat uh, if you'd like to interact with the show you can do in many ways uh, the website is www.plaintalkinguk.com on there are all the details about us bios uh, from all of the people involved in the show also uh, there is a contact form on there you can send us a quick email uh, you can do it by conventional methods using podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, you can search us on social media using the handle plaintalkinguk. Or, why not be very fancy, send us a voice memo via WhatsApp. It's plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so, a um, bit of flying for me coming up. Oh, yes. Uh, this next You've got week. quite a busy week, haven't you, actually? You've got lots of little flights uh, in the calendar. Yes. yes. Uh, what are we doing? Uh, Monday, Newcastle and back in a day from Heathrow. Oh. Um, that's a really expensive flight. There's only, I think, three flights a day or maybe four. No, I think it is three flights a day. And, of course, it's only BA that operate from uh, Heathrow's Newcastle. So they can charge what they like for Well, it, yeah, maybe. pretty much. What, what, what's the aircraft? Uh, A319. Oh, okay. So, so it's quite big then, to be fair. It's so, not... yeah, 148 seats or whatever yeah. it is. So, uh, yeah. And then Wednesday, I'm flying to our uh, European head office uh, in Belgium. So I fly into Brussels and get the train down to Antwerp for that. Then back on Friday. And then Sunday, uh, off to Schiphol for a week for our ah. big AV show thingy that we do. Um, and... Uh, Make sure we take our masks with us and our sanitizers. Of course, yes, absolutely. Uh, and all the rest of it. Actually, all, all, jokes, all jokes aside, this, 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 um, this um, you know, um, uh, coronavirus or what? Is it coronavirus? Mm. Am I saying that yeah. right? And sorry, it just reminds me of beer. I, 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 I've mm. just I've got a lager yeah. popped into my head there. Uh, I, I mean, gen genuinely, I mean, stuff like this must be a bit of a concern for, for companies like... That, that put yeah, on these, I mean, these obviously sort of big, shows. You know, bit, there's big shows on all the time. There's automotive shows on. There's our mm. show that we've got over at the uh, the Rye in Amsterdam. So that's, um, what is it, 75, 80,000 people, something Gosh. like that. And a lot of people from China, especially Shenzhen, which yeah. is where the 
uh, LED technology is coming from. I've got to say, from what I've heard and seen so far, I think the Chinese have done a very good job of trying to contain all of this. And although there are some incidents around the world and a couple in the UK, I noticed today, but I think they've done a pretty good job so far. But this yeah. is a, an ongoing story. And obviously with the WHO involved now, um, you know, everybody's keeping a close eye on what, uh, what the guidelines are. And, and of course, this is, this is a big story, mainly because obviously we do live in a world now where people literally jet set from one end of the, of the world uh, to another almost daily. So, I mean, I guess with that does inherently come massive risks with, with, a, with a virus like this. Yeah. And um, the thing is that I, th I think it's very difficult to, and I'm not, not being a medically qualified person at all, no. but obviously this sort of thing comes out of the blue. Mm. And although you can prepare for it in terms of the, the local care that you can give patients and that kind of thing, there, there are a lot of countries that just don't have that capability. So you don't have um, the resources, essentially. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, mm. but uh, anyway, we'll see how this develops, but um, it, will, it will obviously affect flights to and from China um, and certainly all the major airlines are reducing or cancelling yes. flights. I, I, BA have cancelled um, from from Heathrow haven't they they've yep. got nothing going into uh, going into or coming out of but um, well uh, try and stay safe if you can Nev I mean yes, uh, you know I don't... This D before I go and yes. uh, take me Lemsip. Uh, now, so, now you're going to be because of that and, and work commitments. You're actually going to be missing for the next couple of Fridays, aren't you? I know a tragedy for everybody. I realise um, <laughs> tragedy for me. <laughs> well, I don't know. So what I'm going to do? I'm going to be busy with my editing stuff uh, this weekend. So I should give you another two episodes of John Hutchinson Lovely. to shove in the mix. Fantastic. And any other bits of video I can come up with as well. Well, we you will be sorely missed, my friend. Um, but uh, safe travels. Uh, nothing exciting in the world of Matt, really. I've Got a, uh, in fact, actually, I will be missing at the end of February. I've got a nice little surprise trip to uh, Glasgow that I found out about this week. So uh, very much looking forward to that. Um, what, one person did suggest to me that maybe stab vests were required, but I think that's a little unfair. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that's so I've never actually... That's just on the, ch on the train, let alone when you... Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> I've never actually... I've, done, I've been to Edinburgh and I've been to Aberdeen, um, but I must admit uh, Glasgow is new on me because that's actually, weirdly for us, that's the nearest sort of like major major point if you like um because um, it's at the bottom of scotland isn't it for, the, for want of a better word so uh, very much looking forward to that that's going to be fun uh, thank a, you though, just, uh, if you get the chance to do some exploring glasgow is a very nice uh, place now they, um, yeah well they, they've uh, done a great job with it actually well ho hopefully we've got the best part of an afternoon and an evening to do a little bit of exploring so yeah, yeah it's going to be fun and also a bit of first class train travel i'm really rather excited oh. Oh, i know absolutely oh. well, what is, is there an equivalent to seat 1a on the train i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, not really, no. no but, uh, okay. just, uh, you won't. I tell you what, you won't go hungry when you get there Ooh, uh, either. But just uh, don't forget your deep-fried Mars bar as well. Ooh, do you know? It, I've never had one. I desperately want one. Anyway, oh, enough of this. Suddenly, the podcast has turned into a food show all of a sudden. So I think that's where we really need to uh, bring things to a close. Thank you mm. very much, as always, uh, Nev. It's been a pleasure, uh, Armando. Thank you very much for taking the time to record us the stories. It's been a huge. It's been a huge help. It's nice to sort of have him involved, at least, isn't it, with, with, with him on, on tape. I know I shouldn't really say that, should I? <laughs> I don't know. No. 
What, what do we what do we call it now? It's all digital. I, it doesn't seem the same somehow, does it? Yes, it doesn't sound so good, is it, when we <laughs> no. say it's on the SSD drive no, or it's no. on the hard disk. You know, Lo- so. loses, loses a bit of... Uh, the, oh, oh, dear, the chat room is busy telling us off now. Dr. Steph is very unimpressed. <laughs> She's a deep-fried food. Come to come to the NC State Fair. Oh, right. Ooh, oh, North Carolina. Yes, that, that's right. I've heard of uh, <laughs> some very unhealthy food there. Uh, Excellent. But, um, obviously... Uh, the APG team are very good at sampling that. Kind well, of quite thing. right, absolutely. Well, and obviously we bow to their superior knowledge when it comes to fine, fine and healthy deep-fried goods. Anyway, on that bombshell, it is time to end. Thanks to everyone who's joined us uh, this evening. Uh, Nev, have a good couple of weeks. Uh, everyone else, I'll catch you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.